standing on the promises of God. How can we stand on the promises of God and why? Because the apostle says, faithful is he who promised. Makes no difference whether it is our salvation, our resurrection, or anything in between. We stand on the promises of God because he promised. And he who promised cannot lie. Otherwise, he would not be God. One of my favorite songs. Please open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. Verse 5. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. Today, by the grace of God, I would like to speak about striving over the Holy Spirit. My spirit will not strive with men forever, or not always. How he strives, why he strives, how long he strives, But first, I would like to mention a few things about the Holy Spirit himself. He is not an influence. He is not merely an attribute of God or product of God. He is not an emotion. He is not a conscience. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Word of God informs us that God is one in three persons. Often you find in the Old Testament the Lord addressing himself as we in us, plural. So the Word of God teaches of one God, not three gods, one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So he's a divine being, divine person, equal with the Father and the Son, not lesser, equal. Just like the Son is equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He exercises acts of thought, emotion, and choosing, just like a person would. He can be pleased. He can be angered. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. He can speak. He convicts. He convinces. He inspires. He reveals. He enlightens. He comforts. He aids us in prayer. He teaches, He leads, He guides, He hinders, He unites, He intercedes, He seals, He protects. These are just some of His attributes, what He does, or some of His works. He can divide His gifts as He pleases, to whom He pleases, when He pleases, and to what portion or part as He pleases. His work is seen in creation, in maintenance of creation, in restoration, in redemption, and in judgment. He is the power by which God accomplishes all His work. In Genesis chapter 1, we can see Him hovering over this waste 
the void, the darkness. When it comes to dealing with the children of men, we see that God works through His Holy Spirit and speaks to man through His Holy Spirit, either directly or through other men. As a matter of fact, our Word, Word of God, I should say our Bibles, the Word of God is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was not just written by man as he wrote whatever he felt like writing. Word of God says that it was the Spirit of God who moved the man of God. You can picture a ship without a rudder in the middle of the ocean, moved by the wind. Wherever the wind blows, it moves it. Likewise, these men of God, holy men of God that wrote the Word of God, were moved by the Holy Spirit. Not their own consciences, not their own hearts, not their own minds, but the Holy Spirit. When it comes to mankind that God speaks to, He speaks to us through His Word. He spoke through the prophets. We see that the Spirit of God came upon a prophet, and they spoke the Word of God. They warned and they taught. When it came to deeds, mighty deeds, again we see the Spirit of God coming upon a person such as Samson or David or Jephthah or any one of those godly men or women. And the works of God were done through these men by the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself as a man, when he came down to this earth, God himself took on a human body. He himself says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So he was led by the Holy Spirit. He was moved by the Holy Spirit. He was, he was uh, directed by the Holy Spirit. All of his works, those mighty works and wonders and signs and miracles that he has done, were done in the power by the, of the Holy Spirit. As a matter of fact, he warned the Pharisees, warned them of eternal fire, because they blasphemed the Holy Spirit, because they attributed the works of the Holy Spirit to Beelzebub or to Satan. So he warned them that this is unpardonable sin. It is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit to attribute his works to someone or something else. When it comes to the church, again we see in the power of the Holy Spirit, his own disciples, after the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he breathed on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. They received the Holy Spirit They could understand the scriptures. The Spirit of God opened their minds, their hearts, their understanding and the scriptures unto them. But then he told them to wait. Wait in the city of Jerusalem before they do any kind of work. He already given them the commission to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. But he says, wait. Don't do it in your own strength, not in your own wisdom, not in your own understanding, not in your own power, but wait until you are endued, until you are clothed with power from on high. And the disciples waited. And they prayed, and they stood on the promises of God, and they waited in that upper room until the Holy Spirit was given and empowered them. And then we see them preaching and teaching and establishing assemblies and so on and so forth. And we can see it all the book of Acts and the epistles, really, as the Spirit of God is moving and acting. His work is in the world with the unbeliever. And his work is also in the church with the believer. Well, today, by the grace of God, I would like to speak about his work in the world with the unbeliever. What we read here in chapter 6 of Genesis is just before the flood, when God pronounced judgment, judgment on this earth, on mankind. And this, this world, 
this earth and the animals, the animal kingdom was punished, was judged because of man's sin. So due to their great wickedness, God was compelled to destroy them. His spirit strove with them, pleaded with them for 1,600 and plus years to no avail, without success. It is not that they did not know God. It is not that they did not know what God wanted. It is not that they didn't understand what God wanted. It is not that they did not have the light of God. It is not that they did not know what was moral and what was immoral, what was right and what was wrong. They knew. As I mentioned, if we look at the genealogy, we see that the the mankind was only about 1,600 years old at this time. And they had longevities. They lived between 600 and almost 1,000 years. Adam himself lived close to eight, 900 years. So these men, some of these old men that, that uh, went through the flood and were killed and were destroyed in the flood, knew Adam when they were little children. Their fathers and their grandfathers knew Adam. So it's not like these people did not know who God was and how man came into being. They knew. But they rejected the truth of God. They rejected the light of God. They rejected the moral laws of God. And they went their own separate way, way of Cain, way of ungodliness. There was violence on the earth. They were killing one another. There was iniquity, there was sin, there was wickedness. The Word of God says their very thoughts were evil continually. Their reprobate mind, destitute of sound judgment, mind whose thoughts, whose imaginations was full of wickedness, evil, unrighteousness. And their deeds were progressing from bad to worse until there was no remedy. And their iniquity was so provoking to God that it was compelled to destroy them. It is not that he did not give them enough time. But he says, my spirit will not strive with men always. I have given him, I have given him so much time, and I have set a limit of when I will stop dealing with him, and I have set a limit when I will start the judgment. Their destruction should serve as an example, as a warning to us. And we can see that throughout the centuries and throughout millennia, God has judged mankind, judged the nations. This was the first great judgment. And God did promise that He will never again destroy the earth with flood. That's why we have the rainbow after the rain. That's a covenant that God has placed in the heavens that we can know, that we can be assured that God will never again destroy this world with flood. But Apostle Peter informs us that this present world and the present universe is set aside for another judgment, judgment by fire. But in between, God has judged mankind. Only about five or 600 years after this great judgment by flood, God again had to judge man, Sodom and Gomorrah, because of their ungodliness, because of their wickedness, because of their perversions, because of homosexuality. God destroyed those cities, wiped them out. Did we learn anything? Did man learn anything? God commands man everywhere to repent or face judgment. Yet man stubbornly continues 
in his sin, in his rebellion against God. Character of sin is to turn away from God because man loves darkness, because his heart is dark and God is light. Nevertheless, just because man turns away from God, just because men rebelled against God, does not mean that God is not seeking to save that which was lost, that which went away, that which went astray from him. God has been calling and seeking those who were lost and ruined by sin. If you remember, as soon as Adam and Eve sinned, and God came into the garden, and they were hiding from him, it is God who called out, where are you? And ever since then, he has been seeking that which was lost, that which was ruined by sin. And for 4,000 years, he spoke to man in various ways, through various people, various circumstances. But then Apostle informs us in the book of Hebrews that now he speaks to us through his son in these last days. God sent his son. God himself came, took a human body, lived a perfect life, obedient life. Mankind saw who God was in the face, in the acts, in the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. God walked in this earth. And then he offered himself and he was crucified. Sin of mankind was laid on him. And there on the cross, he paid the penalty. And he provided the way of redemption. He provided the way of salvation for all mankind. And now the gospel is preached in his name. For there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. Because no one else paid the penalty. It wasn't Buddha, it wasn't Muhammad, it wasn't Allah. 